Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Greetings. Greetings. Um, the Lord has brought us into His presence today to worship Him. And uh, we come before the Lord with everything that we have going on in our lives. You know, we can have uh, times where we're uncertain about our employment or where we're uncertain about things that had to do with our health or with uh, difficulties that come our way, but, but life is very transitory. One day we can have a big problem, and the next day it's, there's no problem at all, right? Things that can seem very, very overwhelming to us at one moment, the next day we actually forgot they were even there. And so our emotions and the, uh, there's a big word my father-in-law used to like to use, the vicissitudes or the ups and downs and ins and outs of life um, kind of keep us wondering what's happening. But it, it should remind us that there is something that doesn't change. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. There is never a day that God is going to say, you know, I just don't like Jonathan Narwhal. And uh, I'm done with him and uh, he's not mine anymore. God doesn't act like that. He doesn't treat us that way. He's constant. He's consistent. There's not a time where all of a sudden God's word isn't going to be true. It's always true. It always has been true and it always will be true. We are often tempted uh, to look around us at the authorities and the experts that live out there and they will say, well, this isn't so, or we know this very emphatically. When in fact, things that people think they know, they really don't. They may change. You guys, how many of you have seen this with diets? Don't eat fat, right? Next thing you know, what? Fat's the best food for the brain, you know? Uh, what we really need to do is eat this, or what we should never do is this. Or I remember when I was a kid, it was like, you know, you know don't go swimming after you eat. And they're like, no, you need to eat before you go swimming, you know? And, and, and there were always these things that are always changing, but it's funny when they declare them to us, how sure they are of the, oh, we know, we know now, this is the way, you know? That's one reason I try to avoid, well, that's not the only reason that I try to avoid dieting, but, but, uh, <laughs> but we avoid, we avoid a wife. Well, they're just going to find out that, you know, you know, eating only cheese and giant chunks of meat might not be good. You know, like, like, no, no, it's the thing, you know, and, and some kids even ask me why I wouldn't do trim healthy mama. And I'm like, how could I do a diet that's called, a I'm not a mama. Okay. You know, <laughs> that's actually been an excuse probably. Uh, but anyway. Things change, but God, everybody say, God doesn't, change. God doesn't change. Psalm 144, David said this. He said, blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teaches my hand to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Lord, what is man? that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man, that thou makest account of him. The question as we hear this, we should be asking ourselves, why do we care so much about what men think? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passes away. 
Bow the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning, and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows, and destroy them. Send thine hand from above. Rid me, and deliver me out of great waters for the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Men lie. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. That our sons might not be like them, but they would be like plants grown up in their youth. That our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. That our garments may, garners may be full, affording all manner of store. That our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. That our oxen may be strong in labor. That there be no breaking in nor going out. That there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is the people that is in such a case, yea, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you keep the city. We're thankful, Lord, that you watch. Or the, wakeman, the, the, the watchman wakes, but in vain if you're not watching, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that we, even though we are transitory and mortal and, and changeable, Lord, that you change not. Lord, we come before you today as your people longing to hear your unchangeable words, that we would be changed by them. Lord, that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed into the image uh, of that son of man that came. Lord, that, that we would be like you. Lord, perfect us, mature us, help us to grow up in you and bring forth much fruit. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And Holy Ghost. Amen. Remain standing with us for just a little bit more. My text is going to be the entire Psalm 58. It's a short psalm, uh, so we're just going to read the whole thing. My sermon title today is called Of Vipers and Vapors. And uh, it's, you know, I almost called it uh, snakes and snails and, and some kind of puppy dog tails or whatever, because I can't recall any scripture that talks about snakes and snails, and, 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 but this one does. But we'll get to the snails, guys, okay? The slimy snail is going to make it right into the message today because it's in Psalm number 58. Um, but let us hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 58. To the chief musician, Alashith, a mictum of David. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out their great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be cut in pieces as a snail which melteth. Let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the, the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, verily, there is a reward for the righteous Verily, he is a God that judges in the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we ask right now, Lord, that you would, through Psalm 58, give us perspective. 
Lord, oftentimes we find ourselves, Lord, struggling with what we see in front of us, Lord, versus what is true according to your word. And we pray that your word would be exalted today, that everything else would be cast down. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All men born into Adam's sin and shaped in the iniquities of his fallen race. Without the touch of God in our lives, we would not seek after God. We would not really even know that we ever had a need for Him. It is His mercy that He comes to us in our sin before we know Him. When we were without strength, as the Bible tells us, and He provides for our salvation. Do you know if God didn't do that, you wouldn't be here today. Today, even though now, as the scriptures declare, we are all seated in heavenly places in Christ, we are still sitting in the darkness of a fallen world. Do you really even need to be reminded of that? Or do you go, you know, the whole world's saved, everything's great. May need to be reminded? (laughs) Even though Christ is right now, not one day, but right now, King of kings, is he not? And Lord of lords. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's plain to see that they're not doing that right now everywhere, right? I mean, they're bowing the knee right now, but not to Jesus. They're bowing it when our flag comes out, right? They're not bowing their knee to say he is Lord of heaven and earth. They're bowing their knee and they're really, even as they bow, they are defying That we live in a nation that is and has been under God. Although it really doesn't really seem like that's true really that much anymore either. They, this unholy convocation of sinners, sing in unison the praise of their false gods. And they preach the false doctrines of devils as they bow to the creations of their own imaginations. And they hate us. Remember what Jesus said? They hated me. So just so you know, if you're going to follow after me, they're going to hate you too. They hate us, people of God, because we do not march to the, di- the demonic diatribes and, re- and they revile us as they did our king when he declared unto them the certainness of their fall of power. Folks, they're not going to always be in charge. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that he beheld Satan fall as lightning from the sky. Once he was the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, but now the fading sovereign of an ever crumbling kingdom whose days are nearer to the end than they ever have been. Now, people talk about the end of the world. Let me tell you, the end of the world isn't coming for us. The end of the world is coming for them. The beginning of the world. If you recall the book of Revelation, he said, I beheld a new heaven and a new earth, for the old has passed away. The old that's passed away doesn't mean that the Rocky Mountains are going to be cast into the sea. It means that those people and those demonic powers that thought they ruled this world, they will pass away with the burning heat of God's wrathful son. They will go down like the dust and they will be crushed beneath the feet of the body of Christ. But let me just tell you this. They are not planning to submit without a fight. I mean, Republicans may be willing to not fight and just let them run over us like a steam train, right? Those of you who are, of course. But they're not going to roll over and die. I can tell you that right now. Until then, we must remember our call to prayers of faith. We must not walk by what we see before us, but we must walk according to the truth of the promises of God. We must believe that God is and that he is what? He is the rewarder of uh, those who diligently seek God's judgments. Our walk of faith calls us to remember that they may seem like the ones 
who are in charge, they may seem like their judgments are the most important to consider, but they're not. They can rule all they want. They can pass any law they want. My grandpa used to say it this way, a piece of paper will lay still and you can put anything on it. And buddy, that's what they've been doing. There is one Supreme Court and it does not convene in Washington, D.C. There is one righteous judge and his term never expires. His rulings are never overturned. And he always sides with the law. His law is the perfect law of liberty and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that should be what we're concerned with more than any other law that ever gets passed anywhere. Amen? That's what Psalm 58 is saying. Can we say huzzah? Yeah, we, we've got to be reminded. That's what the Psalms are for. They're to help us remember things that we forget. And we often forget this. And you'll see this message is over and over in the Psalms. Just like Psalm 1. You can all quote it. And, and you might go, Pastor Mark, you say it all the time. Well, I don't say it any more than the Bible does. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall but the ungodly they are everybody say not so that's right they are like the chaff which the wind drives away therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But what? The way of the ungodly shall perish. We've got to be told this over and over and over again. Because we walk around like it isn't so. So as we go through this verse by verse. We start off with the inspired heading. The chief musician. This word, A-L-T-A-S-C-H-I-T-H, that may appear in your Bibles or may not, depending on which version you have, is, means to not destroy. This is a, apparently a tune. Uh, this is the same tune that our psalm last week was sung to, do not destroy. And there's another, uh, there are more of the psalms that go to the same tune. Those of you who don't like singing... Uh, uh, two different songs to the same tune, just know we aren't the first ones to do it, okay? <laughs> so this is another one of the mictums of David or the golden psalms. There are six of these golden psalms, and uh, this, this, this section between Psalm 56 and 60, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, all of those are golden psalms as well as Psalm 16. These are psalms that David really, really liked, and the children of Israel did too, and they, they thought they should be stamped in gold. They were so important to their worship. David begins his song by addressing the ungodly as a church of wickedness. Now, he sings his song to them. Now, you know, sometimes we need to, to when we sing... Uh, sort of declare to them. And you'll, you'll see this in the Psalms. Some of these Psalms are, you know, all of our songs are to God. Well, he's talking to the ungodly here. Sometimes we sort of need to declare what is true and it sort of helps us internally, right? Like, hey, you're not going to walk on me. You're not going to steamroll over me. You know, God's in charge. You know, sometimes we sort of need to declare this to them, right? And, and who are we really declaring it to, guys? We're declaring it to us because we sort of need to remember this. You know, they own big corporations and they're in power of things. They're in power of nations. They, they uh, you know, they dictate what budgets are going to be spent on in the billions and in the trillions. And, and sometimes when we hear these giant numbers, Brother Derek, we think, wow, aren't they impressive? Aren't they incredible? I mean, you know, if, if Mark Zuckerberg can, with, a, with a, a, a word, change all of Facebook, wow, wow. 
If so-and-so can tweet and, and millions of people retweet or comment or, or like or don't like or whatever they do to Twitter. I, I've never done Twitter. But I know it's out there. How can you ignore it? But David begins addressing this assembly of wickedness. Many of the Psalms do this very thing. The apparent necessity of sword rattling awakens us from the hypnotic metronome of madness clicking down doom and gloom from the countless sources surrounding us, whether it be from social media or the news or the newspaper or the people at your work going, do you know what's going on? Do you know what they did? Do you know what's happening next week? Do you know what's going on in Portland? Do you know what's going on in Seattle? Do you know what they're going to do next? Do you know what's not going to happen? How many, how many hear words like this and statements like this? And how many of you sometimes even say them to yourself as you're going, what's going on? Oh my goodness. They're burning another town down. Oh, they're busting windows out and they're, oh, oh, oh. Sometimes I just wish I lived in Chook Village up on top of the mountain with no cell service. <laughs> he asks them this question. He says, do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? And trust me, he's being sarcastic. He's calling them a congregation, Steve. Imagine that. Oh, you know... Uh, Soros and Bezos and Zuckerberg and Gates and whatever. Oh, you congregation, are you righteous? Do you sing of good things? And he's speaking to the wicked in this way. Do you judge uprightly, he asks, oh, you sons of men? Because what's the answer, guys? Do they judge uprightly? Or do they judge according to whatever they got going on, what they imagine, what they want to do? That's what they do. It can be very frustrating. But have you considered the godless as a church of their own liturgy and dogma? I was kind of encouraged this week to, uh, by one headline, I didn't really even read the whole story, but I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know. So this uh, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, when she was being confirmed as a federal judge last year, uh, Diane Feinstein said, you know, the dogma lives in you loudly. And it was basically saying her, her Christian or her Catholic belief in the sanctity of life, she believes this may cloud her judgment. The dogma lives in you loudly, she says. And uh, Mike Pence, uh, our vice president, uh, was speaking to a group of people on the subject of pro-life. And he said, you know what? The dogma lives in me loudly, too, and I'm the vice president. So take that to the bank. Man, because he was made to worship God, cannot escape worship of some sort. So don't be surprised that they are more unified than we are. They back each other up. They're not divided. They know what they want. They want to take over the world and they want their own will. And the, have you ever heard the statement, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? They're all enemies, okay? But their friendship is based on hatred of us. This is one of the great testimonies to the truth of who God is. Man will always praise, he will always cheer, he will always exalt something for he cannot help himself. He was made to be a worshiper, so what does he do? He worships. That's why, that's why in every city there's a giant stadium. And you might go, well, am I saying it's wrong to watch football? I'm not saying it's wrong to watch football, but man loves to go, yes! Man loves to go, wow! You know, the guy grabs the ball and he's running and he's running. And people stand, whoa, yeah, this is amazing. It's amazing. People love to do this. We are made to cheer. We are made to be excited. God wants us to be this way, but not necessarily for just that. No matter where we look, be it the jungles of far off Burma or Africa or way down under in New Zealand or even in the boardrooms of Harvard, Yale, Twitter, and Google. Men and women will always be worshipers of something. We are all very religious one way or the other. I could practically write down the, the prevailing doctrine of the world. Could you not? 
I mean, all of you know it. You all know exactly what they believe, what you can say, what you can't say, what you can do or you cannot do, or you'll be fired from your job, or you'll be castigated, or you'll be in trouble, right? And you may not admit it, but I think there are several of you who wouldn't say certain things just for fear of what they might do. But in his first willful act against God in the garden, man has been worshiping himself. And that's what's going on right now. But this, like all other false gods, will fade away like those who lifted up the name of Ashdod, Ra, Woden, and all of the other forgotten gods. You may say, I don't even know who Woden is. Well, that's kind of the point. How many of you know, can quote the words of Osiris? How many of you know what it is that he wants offered at his altar or, or what laws he has made? None of you and none of you care. But I love what uh, Brother Derek read for us out of Jeremiah chapter 31. There's going to come a day, and that day actually is now. Do you know that all around the world, if you say Jesus, everybody knows who he is. If you talk about Christianity, everybody knows what that is. And everybody knows what we believe and what we think, even if half of us don't live like we ought to live. They still know what we're supposed to do because they're quick to call us hypocrites, right? How can they even call us hypocrites? They know what our law says. They know what our God wants us to do. They know what our religion teaches as much as we do. You might think they don't know, but they do. Right? When a Christian guy uh, runs off with his secretary, they all go, oh, that, he, uh, that's bad. Right? They know that. Right? Well, how do they know? Well, they know our law. Uh, when, they, when he steals or when they do wrong, what do they? Oh, that, what a hypocrite. What a terrible person. Well, why should I be? Well, they know what we believe. They know who we believe in. They know we, and they'll even say, you know, you should be more like Jesus. They even use it against us. They're more versed in what we believe than some of the people in our own midst. The need to assemble around a common God or focus to form clubs, societies, efforts, or whatever they may be, is yet another evidence of the handiwork of the Creator. Why does the collective matter so much? Why is groupthink so Pervasive is because we ourselves are a herd of domesticated creatures and there is no escaping that reality. But the question is, is who is our shepherd? Now we know who our shepherd is, but who's theirs? Folks, theirs is the devil. You might not even like to say it, but Jesus would look at them and he would say, you are like your father, the devil. And we go, well, that's kind of mean. I mean, you know, we're all children of God, you know, right? Well, Jesus called them the children of the devil. If he could call them the children of the devil, we should know that there are some children of the devil. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You were children of disobedience, deserving the wrath of God without hope in the world. That's who you were. You followed after their ways. You marched to his tune. You were under his power. And folks, there is a real power. It's not just to be ignored. Theirs is the devil himself and ours is the God of heaven and eternity. In man's alternate reality where he is the final judge of what is right and wrong, what is virtuous and evil, time and again his ideas of justice fail him like the sand beneath his own feet. It's kind of entertaining sometimes to watch them flounder. They come up with rules and they don't really think about the consequences of the rules. Okay, any man can be a woman or a man, if he really identifies with and thinks about it, and they like, yeah, this is right, you know? This is beautiful. Until all men have all the world records and all the women categories of sports, right? Until they consider, well, why have women's basketball? Why not just have basketball? And all the women's basketball teams go away, right? This kind of, they don't think it through. You know, now I'm not for women's basketball. Trust me, I'm, you know, whatever. If you like to play basketball, that's fine. But, but their whole world, these guys are serious about their women's basketball. I can tell you that right now. Or their women's tennis or their whatever it is. They're serious about it. They love these sports. Why? Because they need to love something. They got to watch something. They got to cheer for something. They got to be into something because they were made to be. 
David asked the congregation of the sons of men if they speak righteously and if they are upright judges. And he knows the answer, right? He knows they are not. We all know that men are liars and they are corrupt in their, con their concepts of justice. Shifting like shadows to support whatever their newest rebellion dictates. A battle being waged right now for the soul of our nation helps make this point for us. The warfare we know, as I've been sort of intimating here, is for the Supreme Court. Now the Supreme Court of the United States, as I made, it, uh, I, I made clear earlier, it's supreme only here. It is the Supreme Court. I used to tell my friend, or my, my uncles used to tell my cousin from West Virginia that state was played. And, and, and my cousin who's from West Virginia and who's not, Ryan, a big Ohio State fan, in fact, he hates Ohio State, he'd say, what state? State? Oh, you just say state, that's supposed to be enough. No, what state? And they would never say it, right? Because it was like a thing, you know? So we say the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of where? The Supreme Court of a little greasy spot on earth that God could step on in a moment's notice? That God could burn down like he's burning Oregon right now? Yeah. How supreme is that? There's no minor political problem. This is an all-out war right now for the way of life here in American citizens. It's supreme to us, right? It's kind of a big deal, right? So now there's a very good reason the war is being waged over these nine seats. It has nothing to do... <clears throat> With making sure those who are appointed are qualified or that they are skilled in their job. This has nothing to do with it, right? It's because it is corrupt. He asked the question, are your judgments right? And do you tell the truth? And what's the answer? No, right? And you'll find that there will be times when we'll have people in the Supreme Court that actually tell the truth. And there'll be sometimes they actually will do right. But most of the time, and for a long time, the court has been corrupted. The oath that each of these men and women take before God to, is to do what? You guys know they're to do what? Uphold the Constitution of the United States, right? And as you know, many of the judges, they don't even attempt to do that. They, which way is the wind blowing? What do people want? Is that what a judge is supposed to do? What happens when judges judge like that? It's bad doesn't work out the reason it's important who appoints the judge is because the people appointing them believe they know how they will judge that's the way it is now right it's the same conservatives and uh liberals they both think if i appoint them then he's gonna judge for me and and if i appoint them they're gonna judge for them so we here's what we're gonna do now now and we've seen that they're right most of the time they did whether or not the law supports their ideas, they seem to make judgments that please those who appoint them. Now, the question is, is this righteous? No. Now, in fact, when we serve God, do you know God says, if we seek to please men, then we are not the servants of Christ. Those who are appointed who actually do keep their vows they, and judge according to the Constitution, do you know those actually are righteous judges? That's their job. You know, I think I mentioned to you before, I was on a, a murder trial as a juror. It wasn't up to me to go, well, you know, I really don't want anything bad to happen to this guy because he's a nice guy. My job is to judge what? Did he do the crime or did he not do the crime? That's all my job was. My job was not to impose a sentence. My job wasn't to say what I thought about if the guy was a nice guy or a bad guy. My job was, did he kill the guy or not? And he definitely killed the guy. But people on the jury, they didn't want to say it. They're like, yeah, but if we say that, then we know he, something bad is going to happen to the guy. And he's been really, really nice for 13 years, Becky. 13 years he lived a really good life, you know. Well, the mother of the victim got up and said, yeah, your son had 13 years to live a better life. My son didn't. Kind of puts it back into perspective, right? So oftentimes, even though we don't want to do, we don't want to do, a righteous judgment isn't me going, yeah, but he's a nice guy. A righteous judgment is, is my job is to say, what does the law say? And did he, did he commit the crime beyond a reasonable doubt? And, and that's my job. And that's what these justices are supposed to do. 
So those whose judgments are based on anything else are wantonly unjust. So what really is the source of man's sin? And, and David gets into this. And he exposes this in verse 2. Yea, in heart, everybody say, in heart, you work wickedness. You weigh violence of your hands in the earth. God's word tells us that the heart, in Jeremiah 17, the heart, do you guys know the scripture? The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. The doctrine of today says, just follow your heart. You know, how can this be wrong when it feels so right? Right? Isn't that, what, isn't that what people say today? You know what, Brother Jason? We just want you to be happy. Come on, you guys all know the doctrine of today, right? You know what, uh, uh, Brother Sam, I support you. I affirm you. I want you to have your best life now. Really? These are the doctrines that come forth, the prevailing doctrines of the day, and they don't say, no one goes, hey, you better watch out for your heart because your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? In fact, you better watch out for your heart. The, the Bible talks about it plenty. But we don't, we don't, we don't. Their way seems right for them, as the Bible says, right? There's a way that what? Seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of Death. You know, in John, he says, you know, your heart, though, this is on the other side of it. There are people who God is changing and God is love and God has forgiven them, but they can't deal with it. And they're like, no, I've been too bad. I've done too much wrong and God could never use me. Do you know what John says to that man? God is greater than your heart, buddy. You might feel unworthy. You might feel like a dirt clod who can never do anything for God and God isn't loving you, but so what? You might feel that way, but that doesn't make it so. God is greater than your heart. Our judgments aren't right. We look and and when bad things happen to us, we go, well, they should have happened because I'm bad or whatever. God's word doesn't say that. God says because the things that come to us in our life, the difficult things come to us because why? Because he loves us. Do you know God does not deal, God doesn't deal with us punitively. God is not paying us back for the wrong that we've done. Can we say, thanks be to God for that? But the deal is, is that we believe it. We believe that God is paying us back. You did bad, I'm going to get you. But God is not like that. His word says it's not like that. He says, you know, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't reward us according to our iniquities. His mercies are new every morning. Oftentimes, the one being judged and the one judging wrongly is ourself when we judge that God's word isn't so. I know a man who thought he couldn't be used of God, and he would tell me every time I was on the phone with him about the bad things he'd done, he can't be used. And I would say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Do you know what took me? I think it took me 10 years. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Here's what God word. And finally, guess what? He's being used of the Lord in ministry today because he finally got over himself. He finally got to the point where he's like, you know what? That's right. I am a dirt clod. That's right. I am a a, a messed up person. That's right. But you know what? God's helping all those bunch of messed up people. And he's covering us with his blood. And he's washing our sins that were scarlet. And he's making us white as wool. Sometimes it takes a long time to be reminded of that truth and get over ourselves. And quit being these unrighteous judges. Amen? People who want their own way, they'll stop at nothing to get it. They will bust down our doors. They will hold us at gunpoint, grasping to get what they want regardless of the harm it causes. We're getting back to this. Their hearts are judging unrighteously, but in their hands there's what? Violence. That's what the psalm said. We can see this happening all around us in our nation, city after city, where in an ardent desire for justice, folks, I can tell you right now, the last thing you want is justice. Because what people end up calling for justice, they want justice for other people. They want imagined justice. They don't want real justice. Because if we had real justice, there wouldn't be enough prisons and there wouldn't be a big enough hell to fill up. 
in a, in, in a desire, a, a convoluted desire for justice, in some cases a desire just to steal in the name of justice. People are smashing plate glass store windows, stopping cars, burning blocks of cities. This should not surprise us. The violent take what they want by force. That's what they do. In fact, I love how Jesus turned this, this startling fact about man that is disturbing and true and he turned it around, Steve. He said this. People that are transformed by the gospel and the kingdom, they should take notice about what these people do. They are to be no less impassioned for good as those who run headlong towards God's wrath. Paul said it this way. When you were a heathen, when you didn't know me, you were very zealous to do evil. So now that you're free from sin, now that you can do what you want, why don't you take that same zeal? Don't get rid of your zeal. Don't get rid of the passion. Keep that, but direct it towards something different. Remember these words of, of Jesus in Matthew 11? Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. Do you know this is a, this is a battle cry of Jesus going, get out there. And kick him in the teeth. Get out there and stomp on the enemies. Get out there and go get it. It's like the admonition. Remember God said, you see all this land here? It's all yours as far as the eye can see. Look at all of it. Now go get it. <laughs> we would have liked it to have been empty, right? But he's like, no, first you got to go to Jericho and then you got to go to Ai and then you got to start going all over the place and you got to start kicking them out and throwing them out. And that's how you live in houses you didn't build and, and, and reap from vineyards you didn't plant. And it's the same way. Do you know what God did with the children of Israel was to prepare the church for what we're supposed to do? So what are we supposed to do? This world is ours. Jesus is king. And it's not just as far as we can see. It's as far as you can see from all the satellites. Still here in verse 3, David continues to sing about the wicked and describe the completeness of their depravity. And I believe he's doing this to accentuate the greatness of God at the end of his psalm and to glorify. He's not... He's not trying to glorify them. He's glorifying God and talking about how wicked the wicked are. They are great and their darkness is great, but God is greater. Verse three, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. No one here has to be told that children need no lessons in lying. They are born to this skill as sure as a fawn can walk moments after its birth. As cute as they are, we can be thankful that they will not be able to speak for many months after they're born because they would be speaking nonstop lies. And you might go, that's just really, really nasty. Really? You don't have kids. <laughs> I did not hit him, Dad. But he's bleeding, son, and, his, and, and, and it looks, and he's got, and he got a, no, 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 no. You know, three hours later, well, I did kick him, that's true, yeah, but, it, but you had asked if I hit him, and I, and I did not, Dad. And I didn't want to say a lie, so I told the truth when saying I didn't hit him, and you're like, Thanks be to God that our children though are sanctified by the Holy Spirit and they learn to love truth. If you're here and you're little and you think your lies are going to work out for you, they're not. You grow up. No one will trust you. You'll cry for wolf and one day a wolf will come and no one will come to help you because they've learned that you're a liar. But by the grace of God with the Holy Spirit, we learn to tell the truth. We learn that it's important to be trusted, Right? Christians speak the truth one to another. You might go, yeah, but if people find out the truth about me, then they won't like me. Folks, when people find out you don't tell the truth, they're not going to like you even worse. Christians speak the truth. Paul told the Gentiles, turned Christians in Ephesians, that this was the very, very essence uh, and very important thing to do to bring unity in the church. I'll read it for you from Ephesians chapter 4. If so be that you have heard, this is verse 21, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth, as in Jesus, so he's, 
this statement is relegated on truth. There is actual truth, right? That you put off concerning the former conversation or the lifestyle. Well, everybody lies, you know. He said, you need to put off the former conversation, that, that, that lifestyle of the old man. Everybody say the old man. Now, I'm not talking about, there are people that call their dads their old man, but uh, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the you who was not regenerate, okay? He is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. In verse 23, Paul says, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, okay? Everybody say the new man. That new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, we can't make ourselves new, but God does. But we've got to start acting like this. We have to, so how does the new man act? Everybody say, the new man tells the truth. Okay. He says, because this, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore? Wherefore what? Wherefore, that you're not the old man and you're the new man. Wherefore, you don't want to live like you used to. You want to live like the new man in righteousness. What do you do? You tell the truth. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Imagine if your right hand lied to your left. You'd be in trouble making cabinets, would you not, Ryan? Right? Right? He says, you're part of each other. You're, you're not divided. You're, it's you. You're, all you're doing is lying to yourself. How, how well does that work out, guys, when you lie to yourself? I can buy that pack of Oreos and just eat one. <laughs> you know that's not true. Doesn't work out well, does it? In verse 4 and 5, David sings that the ungodly are like vipers. They are like venomous snakes who will not be convinced of what is right or talked out of hate for God's people or his truth. There's no middle ground. There is only us and them. We are at war for control of the world and we will win. And they can see this and they don't like it. And they don't plan on giving up and just doing whatever we want. They're going to fight us. If you've ever cornered an animal, which I've done a lot of hunting, and there's been a lot of, when you corner an animal and he knows it's go time and it's the end, they do some pretty crazy things. I've seen this with raccoons and possums and groundhogs and uh, mice even. <laughs> Rats, you know, you know, they're like, it's over. Well, <laughs> maybe not, you know, ah, you know, and the deal is, is that's what's going on. They're going to fight to the end. They see they're going to die. Self-preservation is the most powerful instinct. They might go, yeah, but that's crazy. I mean, I watched a, a video. Someone sent, someone posted a video and they're like, wow, check this out. And I was, I, I, what I saw wasn't so wow, like I figured it would happen. But, but you have this mouse and you have this big snake. And, and the big snake is coming after the mouse. Now, did the mouse just go, oh, that's it, I'm dead, right? No, no. The mouse jumps up and he bites the snake. The snake is like, you know, from here to the window, you know, and the mouse is that big. And the mouse is jumping on the thing and trying to bite the thing. What, why? Well, because if he doesn't, he's going to die. That's what's going on, guys. Out there, if you wonder what all the violence and the burning and the crazy and the hatred is all about, folks, they are being constricted. They are being squeezed by what God is doing in the world, and he's going to kill them all. But in the meantime, they're not going down without a fight. Even when they plainly see the truth or hear it, they cannot bear it. Some of you think, you know, we should just keep telling them and telling them and telling them and convincing them. Folks, I'm telling you right now, you try to talk a guy into it, you beat him out of an argument when his heart isn't changed, he will hate you. There is a, there is a hatred. I, maybe some of you aren't old enough to quite understand this, but when you checkmate them, when you back them into a corner, folks, be ready. They got a knife. They will turn like the swine Jesus told us about, and they will tear you in pieces if they can. Cast not your pearls before swine. What does that mean? God says we should go. We should bring the truth to those that want to hear it. Those who don't, we should leave those people alone. Get away from them because they'll hurt you. 
The day will come, as Isaiah tells us, that the young child will play with a venomous snake and not be harmed. But let me just tell you this. Sinful man cannot be tamed unless he repents and believes the gospel and God changes his heart. Their poison, it says in verse 4, is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stops her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming ever so wisely. It reminds me of those evil men who listened to Stephen preaching in Acts chapter 7. Do you guys remember this? He starts off, and in Acts chapter 6, they, they, they were lying about him, and they brought false witnesses. But then God sent this spirit over them, and when they saw him, it said they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Do you know the story? And he begins to preach. It's, just, it's 50, 59 verses is how long the chapter is. But, but, but almost the entire chapter up to the last few verses is his sermon. It's a great sermon. But as he winds down, they don't like it. And all of a sudden he sees them. He can see they're rejecting it. And he starts calling them out. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? You have slain the just one. And they're like, ah, 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 ah. And they can't take it. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that they stop up their ears. And they run on him, and I'm, we don't even know exactly what it means. It says they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, we know, what, we know what they did next. They pick up rocks, and they started hitting him in the head. Could you imagine being so put off by what someone is saying that you want to kill them, and you literally, I mean, I can understand the feeling, but like, could you imagine, Steve, after hitting them with the first rock that you wouldn't go, oh, my, oh, 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 I, I've, I've lost my mind, right? No. No, we need more rocks. Get the rocks. Get the rocks. Kill him. Let's bury him. What is that? That's what David is talking about. That's what happened to Stephen. He declared the truth. They would not warm up. They heated up, erupting in violence, stopping their ears, gnashing on them with their teeth, stoning him to death. They could not hear the truth. It was unbearable to them. Worth noting, though, and I, I won't spend a lot of time on this, I actually... I have pages on this. We've obviously gone a long time here, but, but there's a zoological information here that's kind of interesting. The Bible tells us that they're like snakes and they can hear, but they don't want to hear. Well, do you know this was one of the 100 reasons the Bible isn't true that the, that the heathen wrote down? Because guys, snakes don't have ears and snakes cannot hear. That has been the pervading science for thousands of years. But the Bible says that like the snake who actually has ears and stops the ears because he doesn't want to hear them. And so people say, see, 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 the Bible isn't true. It says he has ears and he stops the ears and he does not. Science wins. Well, guess what? Big surprise. Scientists recently discovered that inside a snake's mouth is where his ears are. <laughs> that when his mouth is open, that sound vibrations go into the mouth and rattle bones just similar to the bones that are in our ears. And in fact, their hearing is comparable or better to the hearing of a cat. But man just found this out a few years ago, okay? So, but God knew it all along. And some people were tempted to go, well, you know what? You know what? Science proves the Bible's true again. Uh, wrong answer. The Bible was right and science is a moron. Okay? Now I teach this to my children and I'd like to remind us all this. Science is still catching up to God's word. The Bible's not a science book, but if it makes a statement about science, like the fact that snakes actually can hear, even though we're like, well, we know better than that. And we adjust our tie and we, 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 we take our, uh, you know, our white lab code and we go, we, we know, we know, we know. You don't know anything. If God's word says it, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, everything it says is right. Okay? So I'm going to have to skip all this stuff so we don't spend the next hour and a half. Okay? All right. In verses 6 through 8, David prays that God would do some pretty terrible things to his enemies. Just hearing the things that he wants done might be a little difficult for you to hear, but he did pray them nonetheless, and they are in the scripture, so we must. And if you think of them, though, like poisonous snakes that want to bite and kill you, it really won't be so bad. 
So out there in Colorado, while I was out there, you guys heard about uh, Todd Strasser's boy that got bit by a rattlesnake. He got bit by a rattlesnake with eight rattles, which means, it's, I think they said eight-year-old, a big rattlesnake, and it bit him. I took a picture of his leg for some of you kids to see. I didn't, it's pretty cool. You'd like it. Yeah. <laughs> his leg swelled up really big, you know. Now, how would you feel if a snake bit your kid? Would you kind of be like, now guys, don't hurt it. It was just being friendly or you must have upset it. You must have upset it. It was, you know, it's been here before you, you know, we moved in last year, but it's been here for the, I mean, is that what you would do, Heath? What would, I know what you would do, Heath, because you're like me, right? Heath would get his gun. He would get his machete, you know, Grant and Tanner would be, let's kill it back, you know, and, and uh, Patrick would be, you know, who knows? And, and there would be a lot of death that happened very quickly, right? And then it would be, oh, swing it over your head. We killed the, you know, that, until that happened, right? You're not going to be happy. Why? Bit my son, right? So if you think of the enemy like that, it's easier to deal with what David says. You know, we're going to wash our feet in the blood of our enemies. Like, like that's kind of rough. And. He, he says some other really rough things. So let's, let's just get to them. David prays this. He says, break their teeth, O God. Break them in their mouth. Break out all the teeth and leave them like lions with no teeth, right? You know, there are people in the world. I mean, you, don't, you, you know, we could name actual human beings. There was a guy at Shepherd's Conference who had a real problem. And he's like, if I ever ran into Hillary Clinton, he goes, I think I would kill her. And I'm like... You're, you're kind of kidding metaphorically. He goes, no, I'm not. And I'm like, brother, we need to pray. We need to pray, you know. He's like, I'll pray, you know. And he was praying one of these, Lord, knock her teeth out. Lord, Lord, put her in jail. Lord. You know, and I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Relax, relax, relax. Because you see, these aren't snakes he's talking about. They're people, okay. And this is a little bit rough, Okay. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. He that been at the bow to shoot his arrows, let them be cut as in pieces. As a snail which melts, let every one of them pass away. Like the untimely birth of a woman, like an abortion, like a stillborn baby. Let them not see the sun. Kind of hurts even to say it, doesn't it? David wants the evil to come to naught though, like the chaff talked about in Psalm 1 that is driven away by the wind. But here... He wants their teeth to be broken. He wants them to be uh, like vanishing streams of water that come from a sudden storm. You know, if I poured this out on the ground outside on a, uh, when, it, when it's dry outside, could I ever get the water back? It's gone. And that's, that's what he's saying. He wants them to dissolve like slimy snails caught in the sun. He wants them to be like stillborn or miscarried babies. He wants their plans to fail, their efforts to come to naught, and their very lives to be snuffed out. This is rough stuff, guys. But now Jesus told us to love our enemies, and he told us to pray for them and even do good to them. And this really does need to be addressed. Okay? So did God's word change, or is there something, is there a nuance here we might need to look at? It's why it's important that we turn over our enemies to God because God knows who our enemies are, right? Sometimes God takes our enemies and he turns them into our friends, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is certainly what happened to Saul of Tarsus, as Brother Andy read for us from Acts chapter 9. You know, I was talking about Stephen being stoned earlier at the very end of Acts chapter 7. You know what the very last verse says? Right after it says, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know what the next verse says? It says, and there was a, um, and, they, and the people came and they laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8 picks up with the story where he is getting uh, letters from the high priest to go take men and women, rip them out of their house, put them in jail. Some of these people were killed for being Christians. And do you know who did it? Saul. It wasn't just that he wasn't a Christian. He was a Christian killer. Do you know at certain points in uh, the scriptures where he says, unto me who am less than the least of all the states, or he calls himself the chief sinner. Do you know it was at his hand that Christians were, were killed? 
and he had them killed. How do you think that would, how would you live with that? That's pretty rough, right? But he was an enemy of God. He was no doubt the subject of much prayer as he ripped men and women and children out of their houses, as he tried to stamp out what he saw as a group of heretics. Today in our New Testament reading, we hear how God can change the hearts of his enemies, though. In this case, Saul, we know, became the Apostle Paul. God will deal with our enemies any way he chooses, but it is okay to ask God to deal with them. To get rid of them. And you know, one way to get rid of our enemies, Sister Joy, is to turn them. <laughs> See, do you know they die? That is a death. Do you know repentance is a death? Do you know die, the old man dies, right? We are buried with Christ, the old man. Do you know this is a way that we can pray, God, bring them to repentance. God, kill that old man that's risen up against you and let new life arise in them. That would be a great way to pray, wouldn't it be? Do you know that really wasn't available in the time of David? We'll see in verse 10 how David plans to rejoice in their demise. Whatever God is doing, David prays next. God, I want you to do this very soon. How many of you know what this is like? You're in a bad situation. You want God, Lord, could you hurry up and do it? He says in verse 9, and I, would, I read this for my kids and then tried to get them to figure out what it meant. It takes a lot of actually study to figure out what the world is being said here in verse 9. Before your pots can feel the thorns, it almost sounds like a riddle, Andy. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. And you're like, what in the world do you mean? David is using a cooking analogy to show how he wants this to happen fast. Even before the water in the pot begins to feel the warmth of the fire beneath it. Do it, Lord. That's really what is being said here. Even before the vapors begin to rise above the cooking pot, take them away, O God. And that brings us to the vapors. You see, our enemies are like vipers, but how does God see them? They will be like vapors. All of our lives are like the vapor, but the Bible tells us soon... Our lives will pass, but soon will theirs. The defeat and death of our enemies should remind us how that we were once enemies of God, but we have been reconciled unto him, adopted into his family, and now we are citizens of his kingdom. But we were once strangers. May pride have no quarter in us, no refuge within the walls of this glorious kingdom filled with those who know that they were once enemies and strangers, but now he is calling us friends. Amen? May it turn our hearts in prayer for our enemies, for the defeat and death of them, because it is only in the death of repentance that new life is found. In verse 10, David looks by faith to the glorious day that he can see coming. He knows the God of heaven who sits on the throne will laugh at those who think that they can break his bands and cast off his lordship, for they cannot. Here again, we see David praying through his doubts and fears and coming again to this place of faith. He is like all of us, finding himself among poisonous and deadly vipers who will not be charmed. But as we turn them over to God in prayer, cast down the imaginations or whatever they will do to us, they pass away like the vapors above the cooking pot, or they vanish in the cracks of parched earth like spilled water. They will come to naught as certainly as the grass withers and the flower fades, but we will rise like mustard plants. Our small seed-like faith will bring rest and shade and fruit to a fallen world. Do you know that's what our future is? Learn to pray like David here in Psalm 58. When you find yourself compassed about with hopelessness and uncertainty, for God is certain. I'll read the last two verses and I'll make some closing remarks. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees God's vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges the earth. Aren't we thankful there is a judge that will judge the earth? Seeing all of these things should fill our hearts with praise for God and righteous. For the righteous judge of all the earth, their judgments are perverse, but they will not stand. God hath made all of us male and female, and we are not to defy Or redefine ourselves however we want. Holy marriage is between a man and a woman and nothing else will matter what any judge decides about that. 
the power that they may seem to have might be overwhelming, but they will be aborted like children with their bloody hands. They have allowed to be taken from the womb by millions. Their blood will be on their hands and on their black robes of self-importance as man's reverence will be blackened and it will be a badge of their judgment and not of their importance. God will not be mocked. They have sworn and sown unrighteous judgments and they will reap the whirlwind. Do you know every one of the seven justices that voted on the Roe v. Wade case to make abortion legalized? Do you know that every one of them are facing God's judgment? They're all dead. There will be no appeal or defense for what they have done. What seemed to be certain in 1973, no doubt, will be overturned by a higher court in heaven one day, if not on this earth. If God allows us to see this day when the law protects the unborn again, I pray that we will rejoice in the streets. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is what? He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We need to pray expecting that God will hear our prayers and that he will reward us with answers and that he will judge the earth. Let us pray. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Oh,